Well, God is good, no matter who wins today or not. I'm not watching. I don't care. Some of you do. Please don't go depressed if your team loses. We're going to give an altar call at the end. For those of you, I'm kidding. Last week, for an illustration, I used pizza. I talked about getting a pizza and ordering a pizza and how ordering a pizza can, in a rough kind of way, be compared to um, prayer. And do you know that I walked out of here after the third service and into the foyer, and a pizza guy walked up to me <laughs> and handed me exactly what I described in the services. I mean, it had Canadian bacon, it had beef, it had onions, it had, and, and so somebody went out and bought it for me and had it sent, and I couldn't believe it. And, and before I could get it home, our own people grabbed it and ate it. So today, for my illustration, I thought I would use Lexuses. I mean, hey, you got to go for the gold, right? I see it. I see it coming. No. Now, I don't know who did it, but thank you for that pizza. I did get a few pieces, and it was really good. Now, today I want to talk to you about faith. We started a series last week on faith. And today I want to deal with how faith works, how faith operates, particularly between the promise and the provision, between the request and the answer. That is when faith kicks in. That is when you've got to walk by faith and not by sight. Because if you can see it, why do you need faith? So I'm going to read out of Hebrews 11, verse 13. Now we're diving right into the great faith chapter, and the these, this verse is going to start with, these all died in faith. The these are the Old Testament saints who had walked by faith and not by sight. That's who it's talking about. And look what it says in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Father, I thank you for your word today that it is quick and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, that your word edifies, it builds up, it convicts, it strengthens. Thank you, Lord, that you can strengthen our faith today. And we do pray that you will increase our faith. Now, the disciples asked Jesus to pray for this. So can we just lift our hands to the Lord and let's just pray together. Lord, increase my faith. Increase our faith, Lord, today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. Amen. Now, last week I spoke on the definition of faith out of the Really familiar verse, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, and that means proof. It is the proof of things you don't yet see. And so we talked about how there are things that are invisible, yet they are real. Just because something is invisible doesn't mean it's not real. There are some things invisible that are also not real, like myths and fables and Brothers Grimm and fairy tales and that kind of thing. It creates, out of the mind of man, 
beings and gods and whatnot that are not only invisible, but they're not real. But the God of the Bible is invisible yet real. Heaven is invisible to our eyes today, but real. And so we dealt with that. We saw that faith believes what you cannot see. It is not moved by circumstances or feelings. And just because, once again, it's invisible, doesn't mean it's not real. Now today I want to talk about how faith works. How does it work? Between the promise and the provision, the request and the answer, how does faith present itself? Now when we read the famous faith chapter, also called the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Faith, we find a list of 16 Old Testament saints who lived and walked by faith. Now let me give you just a few of the nuggets out of Hebrews 11, uh, that uh, where it teaches us about faith. Listen to this. In the story of Abel, we see faith worshiping. Faith worshiping. Abel offered to God an acceptable sacrifice, and it was a sacrifice of worship, and God received it because it was according to faith. So we see with Abel, faith worshiping. And then in the story of Enoch, we see faith walking. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and boom, he was not. He was the first man in the history of the world to be taken up into heaven without ever dying. He was raptured. And the way it happened with him is the way it's going to happen with the church. He was there, and then he was gone. He was just walking along, and then he was gone. Amen. Faith worshiping, faith walking. And then in the story of Noah, we see faith working. The Bible says he was moved with godly fear, that is Noah. And having been moved with godly fear, he built the ark. Faith worshiping, faith walking, faith working. Faith presents itself. When there's real Bible faith, it's visible by the way it worships, the way it walks, the way you work according to the faith that is in you. And we're also told in chapter 11 that none of these 16 saints received the ultimate promise that they were believing for when they died. None of them received it. And what was the promise they died believing in. It was the promise that God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world. They died believing that. This was their primary faith focus, the coming of God's Messiah, the Savior of the world. They saw it. They embraced it. They confessed it. But they died not having yet received it. For instance, Jesus told the Pharisees about Abraham. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How in the world did Abraham see the day of Jesus centuries before Jesus ever came? Because there's two sets of eyes that everybody in here has. You have your natural eyes, where you see me right now, and you have spiritual eyes, you have an eye. Faith has eyes. Faith sees what isn't yet there. Faith sees the invisible. Faith sees into the spirit world. Faith sees what is coming before it arrives. It says that Abraham and the other Old Testament saints, catch this, they saw the promise of a coming Messiah, they embraced the promise of a coming Messiah, and they confessed 
the promise of a coming Messiah, yet they died in faith, not having received the promise in their lifetime. Now, for the record, I've got to tell you, they didn't die in vain. Because the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that believes, uh, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But if you do look to God in faith, you never do it in vain. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, the Bible records, this is so powerful. It says, then behold, the veil of the temple was uh, torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had died in faith, who had fallen asleep, were raised. And coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Many. Can you believe this sight? Can you imagine this sight that here came? Now, I don't know who it was that was raised, but I can guess. It might have been Elijah. It might have been Elisha. It might have been Isaiah. It might have been Jeremiah. But Old Testament saints who had died in faith, believing the promise, suddenly when Jesus got up, the graves were open and people came walking out of their graves and walking into Jerusalem and saying hello to the people. Can you imagine Elijah walking up and saying, hey, how you doing? This happened. It happened in Jerusalem. It happened when Jesus got up from the dead. The saints that came out of their graves were the Old Testament saints who had died in faith, and now they were receiving the fulfillment of the promise that they had seen and welcomed and confessed. Amen. Now I want to take those three words because this is how faith operates in between the promise and the provision. They saw, they embraced, and they confessed. That's how faith works. Say with me, see embrace and confess. That's how faith presents itself. That's how faith, if I could put it this way, that's how real Bible faith behaves. It sees what isn't there. It embraces what hasn't yet arrived. It confesses what hasn't yet appeared. It's not moved by circumstances. It's not moved by feelings. It's not moved by emotions. It's not moved by anything because it is based on the promises of God and not circumstances or things. Now, let me take these things one at a time. They saw, they embraced, and they confessed. Let me deal with those one at a time. First, faith sees what isn't there yet. Now, I know I dealt with this last week, but let me just add a couple things to it. I want you to look again at what Jesus said about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. He saw the day of Jesus. Now, the Greek word for saw here means to see with the mind, to spiritually see, to perceive with inward spiritual perception. Here's what it's telling us. Abraham didn't see with his natural eyes the day of Jesus, the day of the Messiah coming, because he lived centuries before Jesus. What it's telling us is he saw spiritually. He saw with the eyes of faith. And it was so real to him, so tangible to him, that he could actually rejoice over the day of Jesus centuries before it came. That's the power of faith. He saw with the prophetic eye. Now, let me give you another example, and that is Noah. I love the story of Noah. This really moves me. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things, watch this, not yet seen. 
What did God say to him? He said, I'm going to send a great flood, Noah. You're not going to see it for a long time, but I'm going to do it. So it says he was moved, he was warned of things not yet seen, and what happened to him? How did he respond to it? It says he moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah did not at first see the great flood with his natural eyes, but with the eye of faith activated by the word of God, he clearly envisioned the terrible great flood that was coming. He saw it. It was so real to him, it was just the rain were already falling on his head. I see it. But he saw it a hundred years before God sent it. Because folks, faith has an eye. Faith has eyes. That's why some of you right now, there are certain things in your life that you don't see, but you know God is going to do it. And so to you, it's as good as done because you see it coming even though it's not here yet. Mood with godly fear. He acted on what he envisioned over a hundred years before it happened. He saw it. He saw it. This is how Bible faith works. It sees things that God has for your future, not just heaven. I thank God, I thank God that I've got a get out of hell card. I thank God that I'm going to heaven one day and I know it. But there is more to faith than just believing you're going to heaven one day. Because when you got saved, God had a purpose for you, a design for you, a destiny for you. I know I say it a lot, but I'm going to say it again. He custom designed you for a reason, for a purpose. There isn't anybody like you. There isn't anybody that can walk with Jesus like you or can minister Jesus to others quite like you. You've got a flavor. You've got a touch. There is something about you that nobody else has. God designed you with a purpose in mind. And we see those things in our future. When Jesus talked to the disciples, when he called them, he said, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, at the time, they weren't fishers of men, but later they became fishers of men. What did Jesus do? He dropped vision in their heart, and they saw something that wasn't there yet. They said, wow, that sounds cool. I'm used to fishing for fish, but I'm going to fish for men. And so they began to follow Jesus, and they had a picture they knew that there was a reason for them to be on earth. Folks, I'm telling you, you are not here by mistake. Evolution did not put you here. God put you here. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, designed, purposed by God for something before you go to heaven. This is how Elijah could say, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain, when in the natural, all he saw was blue skies. And, and then you might have said to Elijah, what are you talking about? You hear the sound of an abundance of rain. There's not even a cloud in the sky. He said, that doesn't matter to me because my faith has eyes and my faith has ears. And I see something coming and I hear something coming that is not here yet. But my faith is the proof that it's coming. This is how the Old Testament saints could see afar off. The city that God was preparing for them in heaven, the Bible says, when as yet they were not occupying it. But it says they saw it afar off. I thank God for the eye of faith. Now let me get a little autobiographical with you. When I was still a teenager, I came to the Lord Jesus when I was 16. When I was 18, I had a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. Very powerful. And at that moment, God filled my heart with a burning faith 
that I was going to reach multitudes of people for Jesus. I mean, it just came on me. It was something that rose up within me. I saw in my mind's eye great crowds of people listening to the word as I preached. I saw it. I saw it. It was as real to me as the chair you're sitting in and probably even more real than that. It set my heart on fire. I had no high school. I was 18 with no high school, no future. If you had looked at me, you would have said, well, there's not much hope for him, but, but God doesn't see what we see, and God doesn't see what other people see. God doesn't look at the physical appearance of a person. God looks on the inside of a person, and God looks at you, and he sees what is not there yet, but he knows will be. And so this vision rose up in my heart, and it wasn't an ego trip. It was not some wild fantasy. It was just something that God put in my heart. Jeff, I've called you to reach multitudes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It set my heart on fire. It motivated me. It made me go through school. It made me go through school. And then it made me go through some school. Every morning when I got up, it wasn't just that I was going to heaven, but there was a purpose for Jeff Wickwire, and you are no different. You may not be called to be up here, but God's got a purpose for you, and we ought to wake up every day and not say, good Lord, it's morning, but good morning, Lord, what have you got for me today? And you know what's amazing? After all these years, what I saw is coming to pass as we speak. We got people holding on to an antenna to hear the word of God. We're daily reaching tens of thousands of people around the world with the word of God. But while I was still a teenager, I saw it, and it set my heart on fire. Without a vision, the people perish. What is a vision? It's when you see something God's got for you. God's got for you. Everybody say me. God's got something for you he doesn't have for me. He's got something for you. While still a teenager, I saw what is happening right now in my life, and God set my heart on fire with it. Do you have a vision today? Do you have a vision today? Something you see with the eye of faith that hadn't yet appeared, but by faith you believe it will. Raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Amen. Listen, since you raised your hand and you said, yes, Jeff, I have a vision, let me tell you the truth here. Your faith, your faith is the guarantee of what you're hoping for, and it's the proof of what you don't yet see. Amen. And I also experience what comes next. Faith embraces what it believes. Isn't that an interesting, listen to what it says. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them. Isn't that an interesting statement? They embraced them. They embraced them. What does that mean? The word embrace here is a word that refers to a Bible custom of when you walk up to somebody, you reach out and you take their hand, and when they take your hand, you pull them in close for a hug. That's the idea. That's the idea with the word. The word embrace is a word that refers to you, you hear a promise from God 
and you grab hold of it and you pull it tight and you do not let it go. Amen. You do not let it go. When God gives you and I a promise over our life, the thief wants to come steal it. Circumstances want to tell you it'll never happen. But when you are walking by faith, you grab that promise and you pull it in tight and you wrap your arms around it and you embrace it and you hug it and you do not let it go. Some people grab God's promises and they hold them tight and some people don't. Hebrews speaks about people who take the word of God and the promises of God casually and don't take them seriously. Let me tell you, every promise of God over my life, I take it very seriously. I want God's will for my life more than I want anything else in the world. Hebrews speaks of people who, who hear God's promises, but look, I'm quoting the Bible now, Hebrews 4, verse 2. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Notice that. You can hear a promise and not mix it with faith. And if you don't mix it with faith, you don't pull it in tight and hold on to it. If you don't mix it with faith, you just kind of take it casually and let it go. But the person walking by faith, when a promise of God comes their way, and God says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this in your life, you don't just hear it and casually walk away. You grab it, you pull it in tight, you embrace it, you hug it, you protect it, you watch over it, and you don't let the devil steal it, or circumstances steal it, or people steal it. You hold it close until it comes to pass. We see with Mary, who had been told many, many wonderful things about the baby Jesus. When she walked into the temple, two people immediately walked up to Jesus and prophesied over Jesus. And it says Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now that's a great example. She pulled the incredible promises of God in close and welcomed them into the chambers of her soul. And she said, I'm going to watch over it. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to hang on to it. And I'm not going to let go until it comes to pass. Between the promise and the provision, you see what's coming and you embrace it. You have the promises of God and you hold them tight. This is how these Old Testament saints died. Sixteen of them that are listed in Hebrews 11. They died this way. They saw what was coming, and they embraced it and held it tight, and they held on tight. When they started to die, they did not say, well, God's word wasn't true. They did not say, well, God didn't come through. They did not say, well, that wasn't real. They said, no, I'm going to die in faith because I know that even if I'm dead, God is going to bring to pass his promises over my life. Amen. I was reading this week how Joseph, when Joseph began to die, he gave the order. God's going to visit you in Egypt. He's going to take you out of here. And don't you let me be buried here in Egypt. You carry my bones out with you. And it's a perfect picture of the rapture because he died in faith. And he said, God's going to visit you, and I want you to carry me out and carry my bones to the promised land. And the Bible makes a point of saying when they got delivered from Egypt that they carried Joseph's bones out and carried him to the promised land. 
Amen. So say with me, faith sees it. Faith embraces it. And then the Bible says, faith confesses it. Faith confesses it. It says they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed. Now, the word confess here is interesting. It's not saying that by confessing it, they made it happen. It's saying that by confessing it, they were coming into agreement with God's promise. The word confess here means to voice the same conclusion, to agree with, to come into harmony with. So they would hear a promise of God, and they would say, I confess that, and, and by confessing it, I'm saying, I agree with that, and I amen that, and I receive that over my life. And I'm, I don't care what the circumstances tell me. I don't care what my emotions tell me. I come into agreement with the promise of God. Between the promise and the provision of every promise over your life, every word over your life, between the promise and the provision, faith comes into agreement with the promise of God, not with circumstances, not with feelings, but with the promise. Because circumstances will often tell you something other than the promise of God. Circumstances often are the opposite of what God has promised you. And the Bible says, if I'm walking by faith and not by sight, I am not being guided by the circumstances that might be negative. I am not being guided by my own emotions. But I am being guided by the promise. Because faith is only moved by the promises of God. There is no better example of this than Abraham in his old age. He perfectly walked this out. Now, you remember, he was 100 years old, and Sarah was 90, and they still didn't have a child. Can I just say, tactfully, the thrill was gone. <laughs> they were old people, 100 and 90. But look at what the Bible says about Abraham in Romans 4. Listen, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider, oh, I'm going to stop right there. Folks, there's some things you don't need to consider. There's some things you don't need to look at and dwell on. There's some things you need to look away from. There's some things that don't matter to what God is going to do in your life. Now, what he's not telling us here, he's not saying Abraham denied reality. Because Christian science tells you to deny reality. Faith doesn't deny reality. Faith simply says, my God is greater than my reality. My God is greater than my reality. My reality may be one thing, but when God decides to break through, God is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all my reality. Abraham did not look in the mirror and say, well, no, no children for me. I'm 100 and she's 90. He didn't consider his own body. He, he knew that he was old, but he didn't let the reality of his age stop him from believing that God could do anything. He did not consider his own body already reproductively dead, and he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now it goes on, it's so good. So here we got a man. He knows he's old. He knows his wife is old. He knows they're way past childbearing age. But he says he didn't consider it. He didn't let it make him waver. It says in verse 20, he did not waver 
at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened. Oh, I love this. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. When it tells us he gave glory to God, that's verbal. He gave glory to God in the midst of negative circumstances, knowing that God was greater than his circumstances. And he said, my faith is not moved by what I see. My faith is moved by what I don't see. And, it's, and that is the promises of God and what I know is coming. I'm going to hold my own boy. One day, <laughs> I'm just guessing, but Sarah walked into the tent, and she said, sweetie, sit down. I got something to tell you. And he said, what do you got to tell me? She said, Abraham, I'm pregnant. And right then, what he had been believing God for for 25 years, seeing it, embracing it, confessing it, suddenly entered time and space. And nine months later, one night, the midwife is called, and a 90-year-old woman, this ought to make some of you women wince, a 90-year-old woman, a 90-year-old woman went into labor. And in a few hours, Abraham heard the cry he had heard in his spirit. For 25 years, he had seen with his eyes for 25 years. He heard the cry of the baby Isaac. His promise was born. His promise was born. When it looked most likely that it never would be, that's when God did it. Because our God is an 1159-59 God. Can we stand together today? I want you to say with me. Let's say it together. If, if you're believing for something that's not yet here, let's see the, the hands again. You're believing God for something that hasn't come into your life yet. There's a promise. There's an Isaac. There's your Isaac. All right, say it with me. Faith sees what isn't there. Holds tight to what hasn't arrived. And, and confesses what hasn't come. These three things are what carries us between the promise and the provision. I see it. I embrace it. I protect it. I confess it. And one day, when it's born. It's born. It's born. I see it, I welcome it, I confess it until it arrives. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord today? Now you have in you precious promises of God. Things that you have seen for years in your spirit with the eye of faith and it came from God and you're between the promise and the provision I bring this word to you today to encourage you look at Abraham learn from Abraham 
Believe like Abraham. Because in God's time, Isaac is going to be born. Now, can we just give to him the promises over our life? Would you just say, Lord, I give to you the promise. I give to you the promise that you have given to me. And Lord, I see it. And I hold it tight. And I confess it. Thank you, Lord, for bringing it to pass. My Isaac will be born. take a minute and just let the Spirit of God touch you, settle on you. Let His encouragement pick you up. Let His Word carry you. Let him speak to you right now in the quiet of your heart. Some of you have thought of walking away from the promise. Don't do it. If you know it's from God, don't do it. Well, Jeff, I've made mistakes. Don't do it. Stay with it. Hold tight. For faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. And he who has begun a good work in you will finish it to the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing an old but precious song and let's just worship the Lord for a minute. God is so good. Let's just sing it. Thank you, Lord. God is so good. Lift your hands to the God of Abraham, of Isaac, God is so good. God is so good. He is so good to me. I sing, He answers prayer. Sing it now. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. Yes, He does. Father, we thank you that every promise of God is yea and amen through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that today, Lord. Can everybody say yes and amen over the promises of God? Thank you, Lord. Go ahead, give me praise. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now I'll tell you, a woman whose faith is still going on, even though she's gone home, and that's Kathy, who I lost over 16 months ago. But I made her a promise, and I told her, I said, Kathy, I'll never let your legacy die, never. And then we took up an offering for the Kathy Wickwire Scholarship Fund. 
to scholarship students to go through our seminary, a totally fully accredited seminary, go through our seminary and also go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And you know that we took up just shy of $9,000. And um, Kathy, Jesus, I know ultimately, but Kathy is sending all of our students to Mardi Gras and financed every single one of them to continue in the walk of God and their education and learning the Word of God. Because Kathy loved soul winning and she loved the Bible. She loved the Word of God. So I want to thank you. And I, I don't know, I, I have no verse for this, but I believe she sees this. I do. I believe she knows. And she sent it. So can we give the Lord a hand of thanksgiving for sending them like that? Amen. Amen. And speaking of the students who are, who are financed, go ahead and call them down, Brent. Yes. Uh, my students who are going to Mardi Gras, if you'll come right down here. Uh, again, I, I just want to say thank you for your heart to... Um, just to carry on the legacy uh, of Miss Kathy. Yeah. Thank you so much. And those, we do have some non-students that are going with us. If you're here, come on down. Uh, every student, because of your generosity and because of the heart of Miss Kathy, was able to receive a scholarship from, from the Kathy Wickmore Reese Scholarship Fund to help cover the expenses for Mardi Gras. So this Thursday, we are leaving bright and early. Oi. Way bright and early, it's like five in the morning. To drive 11 hours to New Orleans, and we're going to spend six days out there in New Orleans. These students who are part of this, this program are required to go twice a year, or twice a year, twice in their, their career. They receive credit, it's part of their degree program. They will go to conferences and classes, but the big part on Friday, Saturday, Monday, and Tuesday is we will be out on the streets of Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street sharing Jesus with all those people. Amen. Amen. So we are just one group of, of a larger school. We're partnered with uh, SUM Bible College and Theological Seminary. So over 600 students from around the country will be there with us. And we will have one block on, on Bourbon Street where 600 kids are sharing Jesus with everybody who walks by. You ain't getting by us without yeah. hearing about Jesus. So if you would just place your hands out towards these students yes, and Pastor, would you pray over them? Father, we thank you for Kathy's life, her legacy. And we thank you that now it's being funneled down to these students. And we pray that your blessing on them as they go that more souls will be saved with this trip than ever before. Thank you, Lord, for setting people free, for leading them to the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord God, for breaking the power of Satan off their life and, and Lord, bringing them into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray for your protection and your good success on them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, thank you so much. If, uh, if anybody's on Facebook, you can follow us at ReachDFW. We'll keep a, a running blog of what's going on out there or on my Facebook page. You'll be able to see it, and we'll come back with a full report. How many of you are glad you came to church today? 
Amen.